my wonderful friends, welcome to Faith FM. Uh, this is uh, this is Pastor Gary. Uh, this is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. Uh, this is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I am Pastor Gary and uh, minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. Uh, I uh, host Drive Time every Tuesday and Wednesday from our studios here in Adelaide. Uh, Thank you so much for joining with us. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you. Uh, Whether you're uh, hearing us uh, from your car uh, or you're listening to us via the Faith FM app, and that's a brilliant uh, little app that you can download uh, from your favourite app store. Now this week we're looking at uh, the subject, the collision of church and state, uh, biblical principles for navigating a world in crisis. And now this is actually the theme uh, for the South Australian uh, inter-church convention that's occurring this weekend. Now, in this series, we're actually looking at the first six chapters of Daniel. That's what we're going to do this week, this Saturday. Uh, we started the series uh, on uh, earlier this week uh, on by looking at Daniel chapter 1, where we asked, are there any biblical principles for church-state relationships? Yesterday, we moved into uh, Daniel chapter 2, and we simply asked, where are we going? Uh, can I be confident of the future? Today, we're going to be looking at the story of Daniel 3, and uh, the big question that we want to respond to today is this. How do I recognize and respond to misapplied authority? Now, that's a hugely challenging subject, particularly in the world in which we are living today. Today, our co-host is uh, Pastor David Butcher, and David's the the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Welcome back to you, David. Good afternoon, Gary. Hello, listeners. It is wonderful uh, to actually have you have you with us. Isn't it? Uh, isn't it real spring out there now? Look, it is. This morning it was pouring with rain here, it, uh, which was unexpected. But I guess thirty odd degrees today is what was expected. It, it was, and uh, I mean, I went out walking this morning before that rain actually came along. And uh, I have to admit, at uh, just after daybreak, it was perfectly clear sky, and I'm sort of thinking, "Hey, I'm walking in twenty degrees." If you if you please, the first time this year I've actually walked in that uh, that temperature. But I am conscious that spring has arrived, but with it, so is the hay, the hay fever, and uh, for. Somebody like me, uh, I am increasingly beset with hay fever. And that would be one of the blessings of living in another state. I believe South Australia is really bad for hay fever. Yeah, indeed it is. That's interesting. I actually moved from to here from Christchurch, and they're the two cities, sister cities, and uh, they both have huge issues with uh, hay fever. But still, it's a wonderful time of the year. I love uh, being able to get outside at, at this time of the year. Now, David, look, I'm really interested in the interchurch convention that you're going to be hosting uh, this uh, this weekend. Now, uh, the subject, of course, is the collision of church and state, biblical principles for navigating a world in crisis. Now, what inspired that subject? Where did that come from? I begin to wonder what inspired that. Look, I, I believe this is really, the Bible is relevant for our day, isn't it? It has to be, if we're Christians. And, um, you know, society is going through chaos and turmoil and uncertainty and um, truth and conspiracies and everything that lies in between. And so what we want to do is look at a period in Earth's history 
where clearly believers in God were up against it when it came to governments at time where they overreached perhaps. And uh, so we're looking for principles that we can find in Scripture that will um, give believers confidence and strength and courage and faithfulness instead of fear to uh, live in the days in which we live. Okay, okay, that's, uh, that's fantastic. Look, who are the presenters? Yeah, good. Thanks, Gary. Um, well, some of them are on this very program, on uh, the Drive Time program from Adelaide. So we have uh, Pastor Joseph Matichich, who will be presenting. Uh, we have uh, Pastor Mark Wilson, who has also been on this program And, of before. course, Pastor Mark is our an evangelist and has worked many years in evangelism and a real uh you know a real powerhouse in this particular subject. Uh, look he is and he's also travelled the world and run programs. Uh, I think this year he was meant to have gone to Europe, yes. to Poland, but yeah. I guess COVID changes that. So yeah, Pastor Mark, Pastor Joseph, they're both on this program. We have uh someone in the medical field and we also have a young lady and then I'll also be uh And then your Bringing it all together and going to tie the whole thing up at the at the very end. Absolutely, Gary. And of course, of course, David, this is being done as a series of TED type talks. Yeah, it's um, five twenty minute talks, yep. and uh, there'll be some breaks in between some of these. But yeah, five twenty minute talks. It's open to anyone and everyone. Uh, so it's ten a.m. this coming Saturday, the thirtieth of October, at the Christian Family Centre, one hundred and eighty five Frederick Road, Seaton. Uh, we'd love to uh, see our listeners in person, those who are in South Australia. And, and please, look, uh, folks, if you uh, are coming along in person, please introduce yourself to us. Now, uh, I'll certainly, uh, I'm actually going to be uh, on the on the door to actually uh, welcome uh, people right from uh, uh, the very beginning, just before 10 o'clock. Now, look, uh, just look for the really tall guy with a moustache, and uh, this tall guy with a moustache is probably me. So uh, please come up to me and just say hello, uh, Pastor Gary. It's great to be able to... Uh, to, to meet you because I'd love to be able to meet uh, some of our listeners. That'd be great. We'd love to see you there. And, um, yeah, these messages, I believe, will be really relevant for our times. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, look, folks, I would really encourage you to, you know, if you can, if you are here in Adelaide, uh, if you can come along, uh, please uh, come along and uh, join us. The Collision of Church and State, Biblical Principles for Navigating a World in Crisis. Now, David, look, let's come to our World Watch segment. Now, just uh, just this morning I was looking at the Christian Headlines site that I do, do follow because it brings together uh, major uh, Christian headlines from right around the world. And uh, there was one that really caught my uh, caught my eye. Uh, the title was um, a female a police officer says they were told to get abortions or face termination. Now, this is reflecting on an American legal case that is being, uh, being uh, uh, functioning at, at this particular point in time. And uh, this is what the article says. Said. Two female uh, police officers recently revealed that uh, they became pregnant. When they became pregnant as cadets, their superiors told them that they had to have an abortion or be fired. Shannel uh, Dickinson, a Assistant Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department, Youth and Family Engagement Bureau, told a community gathering at Unity Baptist Church in, in Washington that uh, she uh, would have been fired from the cadet program if she didn't terminate her pregnancy. Now, this happened, of course, some, some years ago. When I was 18 years old, the police, as a police cadet, I was told that I had to have an abortion or be fired from the cadet program, Dickinson said uh, last Tuesday. According 
according to uh, Fox, uh, uh, Fox 5. Wow, my choice to have a baby was personal and it should have been mine alone and not met with an employer ultimatum. A day after the report about Dickinson was published, uh, Fox broadcasted an interview with Officer Karen Akibo, uh, who also alleged that getting an abortion was a requirement for pregnant police cadets. Detailing her own experience, uh, she recalled how fe- how female sergeant in the police academy told cadets, "If I were pregnant, uh, we need you need to get an abortion, uh, or we would be fired." Uh, at the time, she was pregnant, and she complied with the sergeant's orders and got an abortion, a decision that she regrets to this day. She said, I've never been able to have children, she lamented. If she could go back in time, she asserted that she would have had the baby instead of continuing at the police academy. I did this for a job, and then I want kids, and now I can't have them. How do I tell people that? You know, as I as I sort of read that, I said, my my heart really went out uh, to these uh, to these ladies. Now, you know, I mean, this is a a demand. I mean, how do you feel about this type of situation? I mean, what does it say to you? Coercion is one thing, and um, I guess you know, I haven't seen the story as such on TV, but I'm sort of struggling to come to grips with how. Um, uh, someone being pregnant as a cadet would potentially impact or what what say an employer should have over it and how it would impact their employment. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's, at, that's at face value and that's with employment. But I also believe that no employer has the right to uh, demand a termination of, of life. And and that's a really significant point. But, you know, David, what I'm conscious of is that we're actually living in a world today whereby uh, increasingly, uh, certainly employers are putting demands on individuals that are really out there. Uh, I mean, they're, they're demands that uh, certainly, uh, even as recently as two years ago, if you had made some of the demands that employers are currently putting on their employees, it would have been said, this is gross discrimination. You can't discriminate against people in, in this way. Now, uh, governments are actually starting to, uh, to, to move in the same direction. Now, look, David, the thing I'm conscious of is that frequently we acknowledge that Christians have a responsibility to government. But to what extent is governmental authority unlimited? Yes. Yeah, so I, 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 yeah. I, I, I love that silence there, David. Yeah, no, I was, was, I was, was thinking very of the good. word unlimited, and I would say government authority is limited. I know you talked about to what extent is it unlimited. Government authority is limited. In a democracy, I guess there is the ballot box, uh, and people can vote with their feet. Now, we know that a lot of people... Uh, may not be really engaged in in politics or understand the issues, and maybe they're not informed when they vote, etc. But uh, so, I, I guess the ballot box at elections is a point where authority is limited. Ultimately, they they're answerable to the people in a democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I think is that um, the government uh, certainly has a right to uh, one of their roles is to protect and to make sure people are provided for, et cetera, security and health, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the government also in, in a democracy needs to um, 
you know, reflect human rights and all these sorts of type, uh, you know, well, it's not a privilege, it's a right that, that individuals are given. And then I think ultimately, uh, and this is the tricky point uh, at times, that we need to support governments where um, it does not conflict with the law of God. God gives us that command, but where it does conflict, then we need to put God first. In okay. other words, that, that's actually a really significant uh, point there, I think, David, because it's something that applies to Christians that doesn't actually apply to everybody else in the population. Because I, I'm so conscious that what we actually have in the in the, I mean, certainly you know, government, certainly in, in this country that we're uh, that, that we live in here in here in Oz, uh, you certainly get you know they're subject, as you correctly point out, at, at the ballot box. But I'm conscious that they're also subject to, to constitutions, international treaties and even legal precedent you know they're subject to all of these uh, these things and yet god's people are also subject to the law of god now uh, you know if i'm not a uh, a believer that's something that i can very quickly Push dismiss aside. yes uh, and yet you know how do I bring the two together? You know, this issue of the, uh, the, you know, am I support for government as Paul certainly teaches in the, in, the, in Romans, uh, and also the, um, uh, the, the issue of, um, um, how do you put this, of the law of God? You know, I mean, how do you balance the two? Well, it certainly can be tricky, can't it? Um, but, but, this is where it comes down to individual conscience, conscience and, and an understanding of scripture and being connected to God in prayer. When you understand from biblical principles and from the Bible that what the government is, uh, asking you to do or coercing you to do, uh, when it conflicts with, uh, the law of God, then you need to make a stand irrespective of, uh, what the consequences may be. And I guess in making a stand, um, an individual also needs to be prepared that they, they, and we'll see this in our study today, that there may be consequences for that. The important thing to know is when we have confidence that we, um, are abiding by laws of the government until and if they conflict with the law of God, uh, and we then choose to make a stand for God, one is the manner in which we make the stand is critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, uh, we can know that God will be with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a that that's two really important points that you certainly make there. But uh, this is something that I'm conscious that uh, many are uh, people who have certainly spoken to me uh, right now uh, are really being challenged in in some of these these areas. And my heart actually goes out uh, to those to those individuals because you know people have certainly approached me and, and certainly said, "Hey, look, you know, I mean, uh, what, what what do I do? You know, my my conscience is telling me." Uh, Telling me, I, I've got real concerns about this this particular issue at the at the present time, uh, but I am I'm being forced to move in a particular direction, and that word force keeps on coming up. And to me, here in Oz, it's certainly something that uh, I I never expected to hear uh, the sorts of statements people are making. Well, it certainly is foreign, isn't it, to it us? Is. It uh, is. And and. Uh, so we're not used to this. If we go back to the scriptures, we find that in the New Testament times, God's people, the Jewish nation, were under coercion, were under oppression. They had a 
a, a the Roman Empire was uh, overlords, if you like, uh, and um, the Jews were subjugated as a people, and the Romans uh, were notorious for what they call Pax Romana, Roman peace, which was by brute force and fear. And so it's interesting even to look at how how the apostles and how Jesus and John the Baptist related to this. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's certainly not always clear cut in, in how we may apply some things. But, you know, you look at um, uh, what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. If, if you're asked by a soldier to carry their pack for a mile. Carry it too. Carry it too. Now, these people were responsible possibly, many of them, for um, cruelty, for all sorts of things against yeah. our own people. Yeah. So there is... Um, we are to expect persecution. Mm. We shouldn't seek to bring it on ourselves. There is a time to make a stand. Uh, but when it does happen, I think we have uh, from Scripture, there is a prophetic understanding for the true seeker of the Word of God that things are getting worse and not better. Yeah. But we need to remember that God is still in control. Yeah, yeah. And that is actually the message that comes through very powerfully in the book of Daniel. You know, in spite of all that occurred to the prophet Daniel, God we're still in control. And then in, on top of that, Gary, um, we need to be responsible citizens, yes, but there is, there is a point where we need to make a stand. But um, sometimes governments will put oppressive measures on people or they will uh, do whatever it may be, threaten with death, etc. And and that has happened before. Revelation 13 says it will happen again. What we need to ultimately remember is... We have to face the Creator God, yeah. and we need to be able to answer to Him. Now, we have no fear of doing that when we're living within uh, God's will and yeah. when we know we're following His commands. So mm. I think at this time, one of the most crucial things, uh, and I'm a news junkie, I think you are as well, sometimes it drives me sick because it all seems to be one-sided. Mm. Indeed, indeed. But out there, there is YouTube, there is Facebook, there is everything. How much time are we as Christians yeah. and our listeners focusing on all the social media and what it throws at us with current situations compared to how much time we're spending in the Word of God? Yeah, yeah. no, it's a really good question. Be- because though. we can make stands, but if we're not grounded in the Word of God, what's the point? Exactly, exactly, yeah. And, and I think that is the that is like one of the really key issues because to me, more and more, I'm sort of uh, uh, incredibly uh, conscious that the call is actually come back to the Word of God. What is God actually saying? And, and I believe Scripture says a lot more about uh, some of these issues than what uh, what many do actually realize. Absolutely. And so, if ever the times in which we're living, um, the world has changed, Australia has changed, and um, you know, obey our governments where we can. But if ever there was a time to deepen our walk with God, surely it's now. Indeed, indeed. Look, let's come to some music. This is uh, Ron and Patty Valet, and uh, this is uh, from the book of uh, Psalm, Psalm 59, and the song's entitled Deliver Me. Deliver me from mine enemies, oh my God, defend me from them that rise up against me.
Patty Valet, and uh, the song was "Deliver Me." It coming straight from Psalm uh, fifty-nine. Uh, what powerful words, uh, given the environment that we're actually living in uh, right now. Look now, folks. We do actually have a giveaway book uh, for today. Uh, in fact, this week our giveaway book is entitled uh, "Hope." For Troubled Times. Now, this is uh, written by uh, Pastor Mark Finlay. Mark uh, Finlay is an accomplished author. He's written many books. Uh, his material is very greatly appreciated by so many. In fact, he's a sought-after speaker. And uh, he's written this book, Hope for Troubled Times. It's only a short book. It's only got 60 or 70 pages in it. Uh, you'll really appreciate it. Look, guys, if you would like uh, your own copy of Hope for Troubled Times, then all you need to do is to text us here at our drive time uh, text number. Now that number is uh, 04 888 That number again is 04 888 Now all you need to do in your text is uh, have uh, 
four letters, um, SA for South Australia 22. Now, no gap between the SA and the 22, uh, just SA22. Uh, and uh, you'll be contacted by our robot. Now, our robot's name is Faithful. Uh, he's incredibly faithful at, uh, at picking up and responding to uh, people's messages. So if you want uh, your own copy of uh, Hope for Troubled Times, uh, just uh, contact us, just uh, text us at 04888-80811, just the code SA22. And our robot, Faithful, he will, uh, he'll contact you and he'll ask you for some details so we can get this book to you in the fastest, uh, possible, uh, possible manner. Uh, now, uh, uh, you're listening to, uh, to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with, uh, with Pastor Gary. Uh, today our co-host is, uh, Pastor David Butcher and David's the, uh, lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in, uh, in South Oz. Uh, and now this week, we're looking at the subject, the collision of church and state, biblical principles for navigating a world in crisis. Now, this is also the theme for our interchurch get together uh, this Saturday at, uh, at the Seton uh, Convention Center. And if you'd like to come along, you're most welcome to come and come and join, uh, join with us. Uh, now, um, uh, David, look, I, I'm really conscious that, well, today we're dealing with, uh, with the subject and we're looking at Daniel chapter 3 and the subject is entitled How Do I Recognize and Respond to Misapplied Authority? Because, of course, the story of Daniel chapter 3 is, of course, the story of misapplied authority and uh, three Daniel's three friends are called to actually recognize and respond to that misapplied authority. Now, I'm conscious that this is the story, of course, of um, three boys in a fiery furnace. Now, in many ways, this is regarded even by, by Christians it's very much a children's story. This is a sort of a story that we teach to uh, you know children uh, when they're when they're first growing up. It's one of the first stories. Fairy, it, fairy tale. It's a fairy tale. That's what that's what so many are put on this this particular story. Uh, but David, look, I'm just wondering. I, I think it's so much more than that. Can can you possibly refresh our memories of this story and maybe let's just dig into a little bit about what it is actually saying? Yeah, Gary, thank you. I just want to pick up on what you said about many people seeing this as a, as a children's story but it's not really for thinking people or adults it's interesting that Jesus talked about Daniel in his writings he talked about Jonah mm. uh, he talked about Noah mm. three Old Testament characters that often the stories associated with them many people see as merely fables yeah yeah and yet Jesus wouldn't talk about them if he didn't believe they were real yeah so yeah. these stories are given for our admonition for our comfort for all of those sorts of things it's interesting the setting of the whole book of Daniel uh, comes uh, I'd really like to read Daniel chapter 1 it says here in verse 1 in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. That's significant. With some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. So right from the beginning of the book of Daniel, we discover that Nebuchadnezzar comes and attacks Jerusalem. He takes treasures and it goes on. He takes some of the people captive. Mm. He ends up attacking the city three times and destroying the temple. But this doesn't happen without God allowing it. God actually 
allowed it to happen. Why? Because his people had been unfaithful. They'd broken the covenant. They'd failed to listen to countless prophets. God is trying to bring them back to the, him and wake them up. So the story of Daniel happens in a setting of an active God mm. and a God's people, his children, who failed to listen. And, of course, this was something that had actually been prophesied uh, through the way back even in the time of Moses that if, in fact, uh, you fail to, to follow the, the words of, uh, of this law, uh, that this is, in fact, what's going to happen. Absolutely. So Nebuchadnezzar takes back to Babylon from Jerusalem some captives, and the captives are noble young men from nobility, from priesthood, etc., from even royalty. The idea is he wants to educate those people to, go back to their lands and uh, educate them in the ways, the culture, the language, the religion of Babylon so they can be good representatives. Mm. And so Daniel, we come across this man and his three friends, they're probably in the vicinity of 16 to 18 years of age. So they're young. When they go to Babylon, they're actually very young men. Very young, Uh, very impressionable. mm. And so one of the key points is the story of Daniel and his friends is one of young men who were faithful in spite of even death. Mm. Uh, That doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in in a setting of a Christian home, of of Christian worship uh, to the true God where where young people, um, it's modeled to and they're mentored and they're taught. And, and if you think about it, I mean, he's starting his life in a horrendous way because if you like, he is a refugee. Uh, you know, I mean, so we hear so much about, you know, the trials of the refugee. In all probability, uh, he walked from Jerusalem uh, to, uh, to, to Babylon, but he did it as a captive, as a slave, as a less than a refugee. He did. And we don't know what happened to his parents. Were they murdered? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he, he could have had a lot of reasons to abandon God. And so Daniel 1, you have this uh, test over food and food offered to idols. Daniel 2, the king Nebuchadnezzar, who was a probably in that part of the world, was at that time was the most dominant ruler and the dominant superpower. And he was, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He was a dictator. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. there was no democracy. And um, so... Daniel and his friends are taken captive. They get an education. God blesses them. In fact, they, they come out on top with their education. Daniel chapter 2, the king has this these dreams uh, of this image that he can't remember. It's interpreted to him by Daniel after the king wants to kill all of his counselors. Daniel and his friends go and pray. Uh, they are given in a night vision to Daniel, a dream, uh, what the king had dreamt. He goes back into the king and he says to the king, this is what you dreamt. This is what you saw because the king couldn't remember it. Daniel reminds him of that and the king goes, aha, that's correct. Mm. And then Daniel tells him what it actually means. Mm. And I just want to pick up, uh, it's this statue of world empires, if you yeah, like, yeah. Uh, different kingdoms coming. But it's interesting, at the near the end of Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, Daniel has explained the vision, what it means. And this is what Daniel says. And of course, this vision we actually had a huge image, and it was made of four or five different different metals. Exactly. And, and, and so God had given him this vision, Nebuchadnezzar. You're a head of gold. Your kingdom, Babylon, represents gold. Then coming after you is another kingdom. Another kingdom, Medo Persia. Another kingdom. Another kingdom, Greece. Then Rome, the Empire of Rome. And then there's this feat of iron and clay which uh, is the breakup of the Roman Empire. And then there is a rock that hits this statue in the feet. 
gets cut out without human hands. It destroys the statue, uh, makes it into smithereens, and then this rock, which represents God's kingdom, Jesus' return fills the whole earth. Mm. And the king is just devastated by this dream. He doesn't understand it. Dreams had meaning. And so Daniel gives him the meaning that all of these world empires will come. Daniel says to the king, you are that head of gold, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. You are your kingdom. But after you will come another kingdom, but inferior to yours. So he goes through, he explains the the, the dream that the king had. But he, he gets near the end of chapter 2 and he says to this to King Nebuchadnezzar, Verse 44 of chapter 2. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. So he says the God of kingdom, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. He finishes that by saying the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. And every one of these first six chapters, the people that are faithful to God, Daniel or his friends, come through and are vindicated. And are vindicated. And the God of heaven is seen to be the one who rules the kingdoms of men and gives them to whomever he will. Absolutely. Daniel said there in chapter 2, verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will not be destroyed. So we go to chapter 3, Gary. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, and we believe that uh, chapter 1 begins in the third year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Chapter 3, we can't say for certain, but we believe was in the tenth year of his reign. Mm-hmm. And... Um, what we know of, there is archaeological discoveries that show that Nebuchadnezzar had um, uh, uprisings occasionally occur, right, in, 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 in dictatorships. And it's believed that some of his army officials and some of his other officials uh, rose up against him. In fact, um, some of the cuneiform tablets that have been discovered actually detail the fact that Nebuchadnezzar had to fight hand-to-hand combat in his own palace against some of those that would want to kill him. Wow. And so it's believed that because of that, and again, we can't say with certainty because the Bible doesn't say, it's believed that because of that, Nebuchadnezzar calls in chapter 3, which could be seven years after chapter 2, the vision of the image, he calls all of the officials from over his realm, over his empire together all of the key officials, to basically pledge allegiance. There's been an uprising. So what you've got is an autocrat who is wanting to confirm his power. That's correct. Because it's been, it's someone's tried to overthrow him. And so chapter three perhaps happens in this setting of Nebuchadnezzar wanting to reestablish himself and get everyone to pay allegiance to him and his kingship. Okay, and this story of Daniel 3, of course, is the story of um, a, a massive image that's actually been set up. But unlike the image of Daniel chapter 2, where there's four different uh, metals involved, this image is entirely of one metal. It is, which is really interesting. So Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, just like you said, Gary. So Daniel told him in chapter 2 that God had given Nebuchadnezzar the dream that Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom Babylon would be the head of gold. Mm. But Daniel said, after you, there'll be another. Yeah. And Nebuchadnezzar in verse 1 says, it says there, the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. So Daniel has outlined world history. Mm. right through into the second coming in broad Mm. brushstrokes. Nebuchadnezzar, 
in chapter 2, end of chapter 2, says, your God, you know, he promoted him because he could interpret it, the dream, and he also gave accolades, if you like, to Daniel's God. Maybe seven years have passed, the tenth year of his reign where this uprising takes place. Nebuchadnezzar needs to reestablish himself, put down this um, uprising, if you like, and it says that he established a an image, he built an image, set it up, 60 cubits high. That's about 27 metres that's huge, isn't it? Now, Olympic swimming pool is 50 metres long. Yeah. A lot of indoor swimming pools are 25 metres long. Mm. This is a massive statue. Probably part of that would be a pedestal. Yeah. And as you said, it's all gold. Yeah. So, Gary, what do you think Nebuchadnezzar is trying to establish here? Oh, look, this is this is very clearly it's his authority. Hey, this is something that I have authority. What he's saying to me is so profound. Daniel, you said that I'm going to be the head of gold, but after me there's going to arise another kingdom. But I'm saying to you, that no, I'm the centre of this world, I'm the centre of the universe, I am the one uh, whose dynasty will continue uh, until the very end. Exactly. And so I guess to our World Watch segment, Gary, ultimately all kingdoms, all governments are ultimately responsible to God. He is the one that allowed Nebuchadnezzar to overthrow Jerusalem, uh, and he is the one that sets up and he puts down. But here in chapter 3, we have Nebuchadnezzar setting up a statue. And Gary, I just want to say, in the first 18 verses of chapter 3, we come across the words set up nine times. There is a real emphasis on the king setting an image up, which is in direct contravention to the dream of the the vision he had in chapter 2 of an image that God had showed him and God would set up a kingdom that would never end. And he is responding to what God has actually said to him. You know, to to me, this is incredibly profound. It is. So in chapter 3, he sets up the image. He calls all the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, all the officials, anyone who is anyone. He calls, not the common people, but anyone who is anyone, anyone with authority because he's probably wanting to establish his own authority. Mm. He calls them to this plane where the image is set up. And so they're all gathered together, and they're gathered together in verse 3, it says, for the dedication of the image. Now, typically you dedicate something, and this certainly is, in a religious setting. Yeah. And it's yeah. an image. It's, yeah. So we're starting to see some challenges here, right? Yeah. Um, and verse 4, Then a herald cried out aloud, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Hang on, something's happening here. Okay, now we're getting a, a religious decree that actually goes against the people of God. It does, and uh, it begins with probably one of the best bands and orchestras ever assembled. It's amazing how music can be used both uh, to worship God or to go in the opposite direction, isn't it? It's true. And to diverge, you walk into shopping centers, they know what music to play, don't they? To to attract you to buy. So music is occurring. And when it occurs, people are told they have to fall down. And the word is to worship the gold image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Mm. 
Mm, no, that's and that's a significant issue because what we've now got is a setup between the law of the king, the law of the land, and in this case, the law of God, because these are, are Jewish people, they understand the law of God, and of course, the first commandment was, you shall not have any other god before me, you shall not worship uh, any bow other down. god. Bow down to them. You know, uh, this is a direct contravention uh, to all that uh, these young men had been trained in. And so verse 6 says, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, burning fiery furnace. So here is coercion. If you don't bow down and worship this image, which is uh, possibly a, a representation of Nebuchadnezzar's god Marduk, mm-hmm. uh, and, and also it's homage and allegiance to the king, right? Um, if you don't fall down, the consequence is death. No escaping death in a fiery furnace. Coercion. Well, I mean, to me, this is the end. I mean, in fact, I um, I understand that this fiery furnace, uh, one of the things that stands out to me about it is that uh, Nebuchadnezzar ordered that it be heated uh, seven times hotter when uh, the young men stood against him. A lot of people don't actually realise that this is actually be, uh, being played out on the plains of Arabia. In all probability, this furnace is actually being fired by tar, by the tar pits uh, that are a part of uh, the landscape in in those particular day. I mean, tar, burning tar, that makes for a hot fire. And you think, you visualise a picture as a big plane, there's this 27-metre statue, there are furnaces burning. So you have in your visual, in your in your eyescape, you have this these furnaces with burning flames and fire. So everyone falls down, okay? Um, it says, at the time the music started, everyone, all the people, nations, languages, fell down and worshipped the gold image which Nebuchadnezzar set up. Wow. But then we're going to come to a problem, Gary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's come to that problem. So verse 8, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans, these are leaders, came forward and accused the Jews. So here is a people group that's been selected and and uh, pointed out. Mm. And they said to Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Do you think they meant it? That's another story. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Then they say in verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Notice certain Jews. Yeah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods. So here we go. They don't serve your gods, nor will they worship the gold image which you have set up. Mm. Nebuchadnezzar is enraged. This guy is an absolute dictator. He calls these three men forward. Now you think hundreds, if not a few thousand people on this plane. Everyone has fallen down except for one image, 27 meters high and three young men. It, It must have been a remarkable sight, mustn't it? You can't stand up. If you don't have a faith grounded in the Word of God, yeah, yeah, and and as a result of standing up, they're about to lose everything. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar says, "Are you refusing to? Uh, w- do you not worship my gods? And are you f- refusing to worship the statue?" Uh, he s- said, "Gives them another chance," uh, and he says, "And this is where the line is crossed." He says, "And you will fall down and worship the image which I have made." then that'll be good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And listen to this. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? 
Yeah. This is a showdown between the God of the universe. This is a challenge that Nebuchadnezzar is putting out. He's shaking his fist at the God of heaven and saying, there is no God that can deliver you out of my hand. I mean, how many times would we actually have heard similar things being said today by the secular man? Absolutely. You look even on entertainment. It's challenged, isn't it? Absolutely. It is. It is. is. It is. David, look, let's come to some, some music. This is uh, Wendell Kimbara. I shall not be shaken. For God alone, I wait in silence. My soul is still. Before the Lord He is my rock And my salvation My fortress strong I'll trust in Him I'll not be shaken I'll not be shaken For all my hope is in His love From God alone Comes my salvation I'll wait and trust His steadfast love But not your Are weak. The poor are mighty who turn to God alone for help. I'll not be shaken, I'll not be shaken, for all my hope is in His love from God alone. in Him to hear you cry no other home will never fail you no other love will not run dry I'll not be shaken I'll not be shaken for all my hope is in His love From God alone Comes my salvation I'll wait and trust His steadfast love 
What a powerful song that uh, that is. That's Wendell Kumbara. Uh, I'll not be shaken. That uh, comes. To the words come directly from uh, Psalm 62, and uh, those uh, those words of David. Uh, are so powerful when they've been written in that uh, in that song. Now, look, guys, again, just reminding you that our uh, free gift for you today is uh, the little book, Hope for Troubled Times. This is a beautiful book uh, written by Pastor Mark Finley. Now, if you'd like your own copy of uh, Hope for Troubled Times, uh, please just text us here at the studio. Our text number is 04888-80811. That number again is 04888-80811. And all you need to do and put in your text is... SA22, no gap between the SA and the 22, just SA22, and you'll be contacted by our uh, robot who's called Faithful, and uh, he will um, get information off you so that we can send this to you in the fastest possible manner. Also, if you've got any any questions or comments that you want to make, you're also free to use that same number again, 04888 and uh, that uh, that will come to our desk uh, here in the studio. Now, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary, and today our, our co-host is uh, Pastor David Butcher, and David's the, the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in, uh, in South Oz. Now, this week... Uh, we're looking at the subject, the collision of church and state, biblical principles for navigating a world in crisis. In this series, we're looking, we're working our way through the first six chapters of Daniel. And today, we're looking at the story of Daniel chapter three. How do I recognize and respond to misapplied authority? David, really appreciate uh, what you've actually said uh, so far. But look, bring it all together for us. Okay, a raging dictator king. Things haven't gone to plan. He wants everyone to fall down. We have three young upstarts that refuse to bow down and worship. Why? Because God's law is broken if they do. First and second commandment. Having other gods, bowing down and worship other gods. These three young men make a stand. There is no fear in their response. And Gary, one of the things I see today with everything that's going on in our society is lots of fear amongst Christians. Now, that's a human thing, right? But these young men... Uh, were fearless. King Nebuchadnezzar says, if you don't worship, and I'll throw you into that fire, as you said, it was made seven times hotter, who will be able to deliver you? Which God will be able to deliver you? Yeah. And their response is, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If uh, our God is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if he doesn't, we still won't serve your gods nor worship the image which you've set up. These three men were prepared to die. Why? Because the law of God was crossed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not only make a statement, they were prepared to die. That was the consequence they were prepared to carry. What this is doing is putting the law of God above the law of humanity. And to me, there's a, there's a status here that I think is actually so important for us today because it's when uh, that, uh, that uh, is reversed that you've actually got major problems uh, within your society. But uh, these three young men are prepared to say, we are not going to allow that relationship to actually be reversed. These were men of faith, men of prayer. They'd prayed that Daniel will get the, the answer to the king's dream in chapter 2, all of that. And so... Um, that's their response. They didn't have to think. It was fearless, and they were faithful. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. The men that threw them in died, the soldiers, because of the heat. They're thrown into this fiery furnace. They're tied up and thrown in. Then it's amazing. Nebuchadnezzar says to his people, he says, didn't we throw three in? And he says, look, in verse 25 of chapter 3 of Daniel, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. There is another in the fire. Yeah. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, came. 
came, was present with these faithful men in the midst of their trial. God did not spare them from the trial. God did not deliver them before the trial. And we have many Christians in the world today that believe they will be raptured and taken out of trouble. The answer and the story of Scripture is we will go through trouble, but we won't be alone. When we're faithful to God, he will stand with us in the fire. That is a powerful message, David. That is so powerful what you've actually said. And to me, I think it's it's so important that we actually pick up on what's actually occurring here. You know, I, I know as a human, I so much wish that God would prevent me from going through trouble. He doesn't stop the trouble here, but rather he says, hey, I'm going to come and walk with you. Through the trouble. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So Nebuchadnezzar, this man of great um, pride, is now humbled. Mm. The man, which God will be able to deliver you? Well, he's just seen this God in the fire. Mm. And he says, he says uh, to these men, uh, he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, tail between his legs, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Now those men did not come out until they were commanded. Yeah. They were obedient to the king where it was appropriate. Mm. They come out and the king would have had a red face, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a white face because he would have been fearful. And then the story ends with Nebuchadnezzar uh, blessing the God, verse 28 through to 30, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he makes a decree that um, uh, anyone who speaks amiss of, the, of their God will be torn in two. Isn't it interesting how the tables are turned? Yeah. The God of heaven sets up and sets down. The other message, Gary, which I think is so powerful in this story, um, Nebuchadnezzar says, which God will be able to deliver you from my hand? Mm. They say, those three young faithful men say, our God can deliver us and will deliver us. But if he doesn't, we still won't bow, we still won't worship. But what happens in this story, Nebuchadnezzar talks about their God delivering them. And there is a theme in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel's God delivers him. Mm. Daniel's God and our God is prepared to deliver you and I today in the struggles and the the, the persecution, the tribulation we face. Yeah. We just have to be faithful and not faithless. That's a story of amazing hope. But you know, David, to me, it even goes even further, and that is with God's impact on Nebuchadnezzar himself. You know, to me, as I as I study the book of Daniel, what I see is King Nebuchadnezzar actually coming to the point of conversion, because of course, the very next chapter is Daniel chapter four, and this is written. Part of this chapter is actually written by King Nebuchadnezzar. A good portion Absolutely. of it is written by King Nebuchadnezzar himself. And what it is, is actually his testimony. He's actually sharing the good things that God has done for him. Now, he goes from being an out-and-out rogue in chapter 1 to being a God who, uh, being a, a king who acknowledges God in chapter 2 to one who uh, confront, is confronted by God and is forced to just acknowledge the magnificence of the God of heaven in chapter 3. And then finally in chapter 4 you get another story, which we won't go into today, but a story whereby what we find is that King Nebuchadnezzar himself is converted. God actually cares for this rogue of leader. And so Gary, we may not understand why things are happening to us and the pressures we face and coercion by secular powers or whatever it may be, but God is working in spite of these things. These three young men got to witness before thousands of people from across the Babylonian Empire. They got to hear the words of King Nebuchadnezzar that their God 
should not be spoken amiss of. Exactly. And Gary, I just want to finish, if we can, here. In Daniel chapter 12, we have this beautiful picture of God's deliverance of his people. Daniel 12, at that time, Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. This is speaking to Daniel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, Daniel, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book of life. Mm. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Your people will be delivered. So. Our challenge, Gary, is to our listeners to stand true to God, stand faithful to God. We need to obey earthly governments where we can. When it contravenes the law of God, we need to make a complete stand. David, thank you for that message. That's very powerful. Would you like to pray for us? Father in heaven, we want to thank you for these stories. They're not fables. They're not kids' stories. You are the same God. You are the God that sets up and pulls down. Lord, you've given us an outline of human history in the book of Daniel. Uh, you've given us the way in which we should interact, the way we should respond. I pray for our listeners, Lord, whatever they may be going through. May we use this time, Lord, to deeply connect with you through the study of your word and prayer. May we use this time, Lord, to to be full of faith and not fear. And may we know when to stand because you will be with us in the fire and the trials. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. David, thank you so much. Well, friends, it does uh, look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time. Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh Heenan will be looking at the question, Church and State, does the past say anything to church leaders? I really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give. It's not like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.